also going to get canceled. Welcome to Potter Familias. Only if we say it out loud. Coming to you from Fairhope, Alabama. They can read our thoughts. I'm Todd Sylvester. And I'm Stefan Sylvester. What if could people could read your thoughts? How would you feel about well, that? Or no, if you could read other people's thoughts. Uh, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to be able to do that. I wouldn't even want to get around people. Not only that, but you know they're trying to go in that direction with technology, right? No. Yeah, no. Come Elon, on, Elon Musk. Wait, wait. Elon Musk announced that there's this new thing that they're doing where it's called like the InstaLink or something like that. An implant that you get in your head that will allow you to interact with tech. Not with your thoughts yet, but that's where they're trying to get Why to. doesn't he just say, hey, would you like to be a cyborg? That's basically how we put it. Right. Like, I wouldn't mind the armor from Halo. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. Well, that already exists. People make really, now granted, not like battle ready, but people make versions of that for Comic-Con and stuff. But I want the battle ready. I don't think that exists. I want it to be where some somebody shoots me and I'm still fine. That is not real. I know it's not real yet. That's Because <laughs> <sighs> science fiction is not definitive. It doesn't mean that it's forever. True. Many of the gadgets that we have nowadays have come out, like a lot of the the spy gadgets and things that have come out of the James Bond films and things like that, Mission Impossible, they've actually made them because they were fictionalized first in the movies. Right. But there's a limit to that, I think. I think there are some things that, I mean, look at flying cars. We're supposed to have flying cars by now. The only reason why we don't have flying cars is not because of the lack of technology, by the way. You realize why we don't have them. Mm, I know what you're going to say, and that's not the whole story. And it's not the whole story, but it's a lot of the story. A lot of the story is the three-dimensional traffic thing. Is too dangerous. But on top of that, it's not cost-effective. Like, there's no reason for a company to make a flying car because of how expensive it is to own one and how expensive the fuel would be. Okay, that's fair. Because it's like owning a small private jet. But I remember talking to an engineer about it, and they said, oh, they've got the technology. And maybe that was part of the reason was the, the money. It's wildly you expensive. You've got to follow the dollar. But I'm sure there are super wealthy people that would still say, I don't well, care what it costs. But Let's, I mean, I, me saw, I saw a prototype recently of one that will hover, and it will go up to a certain uh, height. And they said that in order to make it into production, that you're talking about this thing costing over 300 grand just to get one, if it ever gets to production, which means there would have to be a market for something like that. So it doesn't fly, well, what about it the just really, hovers. What about the really high-end cars? I mean, the, people are spending millions of dollars on cars. I suppose, but you would need... I mean, I I don't see why a company would do this as a toy for the rich. Like, they would want it to be something where a lot of people could buy it and drive it. But many of the toys for the rich then eventually got into more major production and became... More reasonably priced, right? That's that's fair. So maybe in another couple of decades, we'll see flying cars. Yeah. I really don't care that much about it. I just want the self-driving cars. Yeah. Oh, we need to talk about the ethics of that at some point. Okay. Oh, man. Oh, I wish I'd thought about that. That's a great topic. Okay. We'll talk about that. But yeah. punch out the main thing because we got some things to say. Yes, we do. It's the main thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
in art and so forth, sometimes you'll see where you have people that are holding tremendous weights, you know, Atlas holding the world and people that got the big, you know, backpack thing and they're trying to get up the mountain. And it's always seen as this incredible feat when they're able to do that kind of stuff. But that symbolizes in our regular day-to-day living the difficulties and the struggles that many of us walk around with. And you may not see it because if we're not slouching or if we're not breathing heavy or if we're not moving slowly, then people just kind of assume that everybody's kind of walking around with the same weights. But the way that we describe them is the difficulties that we have in life. And today, Stefan and I are going to share our greatest difficulties, at least up until this point in time in yeah, our lives. We're going to get real, man. Going to get real. You want to start or you want me to start? Yeah, I can start. I mean, mine is really obvious. As, as some of y'all who listen to this podcast know, I am, uh, I don't even know if I want to put the label on myself uh, in this particular way because of the negative stigma that's attached to it. What's that? But I am a recovering alcoholic. Why is there a negative stigma? There to is that? a huge, huge negative stigma to that. Why? Because in so I'll give you an example. If I were to, even if I did it tactfully, say at one point in my life I had a problem with alcohol that required me to actually like attend meetings and have a sponsor and go through the steps that would be scandalous to a lot of the kids that I do ministry for in high school and middle school. Why? I'm not sure, but it is scandalous. Okay. And so I have to be really careful and Maybe that's because about, they're, they're young people. I mean, we are talking about middle school no, no, kids. No, 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 no. I'm talking about adults as well because I would be worried. What, their parents? Yeah. I would be worried that it would send the wrong message, right? That and I don't know and don't don't give me that don't give me that look. Let me no, explain. No, I'm trying to understand from their point, not I yours. I don't get it. What I'm telling you is that is what I have experienced, which is why it's a reluctant thing for me to share stuff like this. So I'm even like leery about saying this on the podcast, even though I've been sober for almost two years. But I would think people would be congratulatory. Well, like way to go, man. About half the time they are. Okay. And about half of the, of the time they do one of a couple of things. I either go like, but were you really an alcoholic though? Or they say, Oh, I never would have guessed that you had a problem. Or really? yeah, but people it's it's interesting that even still in this day and age when so many people are seeking help and treatment for mental health mm-hmm. issues, that alcoholism is not treated like one. Wow. And for me, I was very blessed in that I had a, a definitive come to Jesus moment in my struggles with that. Yeah, with talk to us about that. So, yeah, so I um as many of y'all know, about a month after my wife and I got married, she got diagnosed with leukemia. I've talked about that on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. It's one of the like earth-shaking events of my life was when that happened for both of our lives, but especially for me because it launched a lot of good things, but it also brought out a lot of personal demons for me, one of which was that I tended to drink too much. And tending to drink too much turned into definitely drinking too much all the time. Right. And because I felt like as somebody who works for the church and has kids and has responsibilities and an image to uphold, not just for myself, but for, you know, the Catholic church and my family, I hid it very well. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, um, it's not like I was going out every weekend or every night going to a bar and getting drunk. Instead of what was happening was I was drinking at home by myself 
And I was hiding the fact of how much I was drinking so well that even my wife was not aware of it. Wow. All right. So then when were you able to come to the realization? So I had a profound moment of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like deep realization or a sudden, um, it's like I got slapped in the face with a vision of the future, if that makes sense. It does. Because in an instant, I saw where I was going to end up if I continued doing what I was doing and hiding it, Mm -hmm. right? I realized like, okay, if I don't address this right now, then I'm going to get to a very bad place very quickly. And there were some other things that happened there that were deeply personal. I'm not going to share. But but basically, I had a come-to-Jesus moment, and ever since then, I have not had a drink. Wow. Now, it wasn't that I, you know, it's not like it was easy to do that, but it definitely was something where I had the realization, I got the help that I needed immediately, like that same week, got comfortable talking about it to the point of where I was like, yeah, this is a problem. This is a problem that I have. Mm-hmm. And then ever since then, I have stayed away from alcohol. Is it a struggle? Not really. I mean, if I'm being 100% honest, there are some days where the the desire to uh, to have my brain kind of feel the same way that it did when I would drink too much mm-hmm. is still there. But at the same time, it's like, it's not even really attached to the idea of drinking anymore because I've been removed from it for a while. Yeah. I definitely miss the taste of a good whiskey. But I know that if I were to even have one drink, then that would start the justification process that would lead me right back to where I was. Now, having said that, I may get to a point at some point down the road in my life where I'm comfortable trying to drink again and seeing if that's a possibility for me. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's not. Yeah. So I wouldn't call myself like a hardcore alcoholic, like somebody who was getting DUIs and um, was, you know, selling stuff that I own to buy Mm -hmm. alcohol. It's like, that wasn't what was happening. I was actually doing a pretty good job of maintaining an outward image of everything's fine when everything was not. Right. And so today I'm in a really good place, really good place. Thank God. But that thus far, I think has been the most difficult thing that I've personally struggled with. Yeah. Cause when you took me out and surprised me with all the other older kids in our family that were all old enough to drink and you took me out for an awesome beer at the Faro Brewery, the Kingslayer. Oh mm-hmm. man, that stuff's so good. Yeah. I remember you getting a root beer and you were like, oh, this is a great root beer. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, they do make a good root I'm beer. sure it's nice, but this Kingslayer is so much better. <laughs> yeah. And that's the funny thing is like, I, I still enjoy the social aspect of going out. Uh, obviously when I play gigs and stuff, I'm around people who are drinking and it doesn't bother me. It's like I have people all the time at shows who be like, Hey, can I buy you a shot? And nobody's ever like brought a drink to me like that. Thank goodness. Cause that would be harder to refuse. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've never not been able to say like, no, thanks. I'm good. I appreciate it though. Okay. Then in, how is this then the difficulty for you? The difficulty was coming to the place where I could admit that this was a problem. Gotcha. So I spent years, years and years of my life lying to myself, lying to my wife, lying to everybody who I could have been honest with about what was going on. And I was like, my psyche almost was pushing back against that because I would hint all the time like, ah, I probably have a drinking problem, but I was making, I was joking around Mm -hmm. or I thought I was joking around, but I think that was the truth kind of 
pressing back against the lies that I was telling. Right. So it was, it was a struggle in the sense that it took a lot for me to humble myself and come to the point where I was like, yep, I, I'm being 100% serious. I do have a problem and I need help. Wow. That's and beautiful. Thank you. And it, look, it's, it's great. People congratulate me. They're like, oh, great, you know, great job. And it's like, you know, I really feel like I didn't do anything other than uh, be willing to say like, yep, um, like it, it's a problem. And as soon as I did that, then the rest of it came relatively easily. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that first moment of humbling yourself saying, yes, this is an issue. And can someone please help? And then if you can get help, then you're good. Yeah. And you must have obviously not been the type of classic, you know, as you just, just described someone that was getting DUIs and stuff yeah. like that, because I we remember, stop. I remember telling people, yeah, yeah, Stefan, you know, finally he's going to AA and all this stuff. And people were like, what? Mm-hmm. Stefan? What? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. And th- and then their next questions are, they're expecting, wait, he did jail time? It's like, no, well, no, no. Because no. mom and I one time went and saw you singing and we were there getting appetizers, got a couple of drinks and and we commented, we're like, man, he can, he can put it away. And you didn't seem like you were woozy at all. I was good at it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the funny thing about, because still, after almost two years, there are people who I tell, like, yeah, I don't drink anymore. And they're like, huh? Because I was the king of drinking. Yeah. And that's not something that I would be open with, you know, with my friends about necessarily, because again, I had this image to maintain of like, well, I work for the church and I don't want people to think that like I'm going out and getting drunk all the time. But I was honestly doing a lot of stuff like driving when I shouldn't have been driving because I was really good at keeping up the appearance of like, I'm fine and convincing myself that I was fine. And just, you know, staying out later than I should have. And all this stuff together was just a big realization of like, I need to be able to have humility about this and say Mm -hmm. it's an issue and it's a severe enough issue to where I really need to just make this not a part of my life anymore. And what is it like now being around people if they're drinking a little bit too much? Hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. And also kind of sad, but mostly hilarious because like if I'm around somebody who obviously has a problem, like I'm looking at them and going, oh yeah, you definitely are experiencing a lot of the same stuff that I did. You're making the same excuses. This looks really familiar. That's sad. But when I'm around people who are just having a good time, it's great. (laughs) Because all the time, it's great. great. I have this experience at gigs where people go, hey man, I just love your music and you're you're just so awesome. And I'm like, thank you, stranger, (laughs) who I've never met. Please stop hugging me. Right. Like, please don't spit in my face. COVID-19. COVID-19. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that is good. And I'm proud of you, by the Thank way. Thank you. I appreciate it. With myself, the diff- my greatest difficulty, really what it comes down to, and it took me a long time to admit this, is I have trust issues. Hmm. And I never recognized those until I admitted to a confidant, a good, very close friend of mine, that I was having some anxiety. And it all comes down to protection of mom and you guys. I get anxious uh, and worried that something is going to happen to you guys. And not unreasonable weird things, like an asteroid is going to hit your home and you'll (laughs) all be vaporized. But I am concerned 
let's say when your sister is driving home at 10 o'clock at night and before she got kind of a newer used car, I was worried that she was going to break down. Mm -hmm. And then I was worried of the type of person that would stop to quote unquote help her. And then someone would hurt her. And that eats me alive. That's legit. Like it absolutely eats me alive. And and like the one time that uh, your sister, another sister, someone busted her car window to steal her purse, but they did it in her front yard. Like, yeah. like, and, and I was like, wait, then they know where you live and they had her ID. And I mean, that just absolutely destroys me. And I know it's a trust issue. I know like I should trust in God. God will protect all of you. He loves you far more than I do. He can watch you uh, better than I could, even if I tried, you know, to stay awake and use surveillance cameras and follow you guys around with drones. I mean, weird stuff. (laughs) But I, I get, I mean, my, my difficulty is I'm concerned and, and, and I know some of it is quote unquote healthy. There's a healthy level to that, but I think I step over that line. I think it's just hard for me to relinquish that. And sometimes when I'm going to bed at night and I'm praying for everybody in our family, I'm like, oh, please, Lord, don't let anything happen. Don't, yeah. don't let anything bad happen. And I could care less about the stuff. Like if, if your sister called and said, hey, my house burned to the ground. Is everyone okay? Yes. Did your dog get out all right? Yes. Then good. Yeah. You know, that's what insurance is about. You know, we'll deal with it. That's not a big deal. But it's it's the the personal harm. And and if anything were to happen to you guys where you'd have that kind of woundedness in your hearts where it would you'd carry it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Like if you were really taken advantage of or or some something were to happen like that, that's it's hard for me. It's hard for me with, and with each one of you, you know, it's it's exponential with 10 kids and now the, a couple of spouses in the mix and you just, you just worry. You're like, oh my gosh, I hope nothing were to happen. Or you get the phone call. Oh, they had a flat tire. Oh my gosh. Where, what time are you guys? Okay. That's, that's the, that's the stuff I struggle with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wish that there was a way to just alleviate it. Just snap my fingers and go, oh, you know, what's the big deal? Everyone's going to be okay. That would be great. Because they're, they're not going to be necessarily okay. And no. I, I've had people that have come to me and admitted to me that things have happened that were really horrible. And yeah. now they're going to carry that with them. And I just don't. There's enough. There's enough garbage. Mm-hmm. There's enough stuff in just the natural rearing of a child, you know, I mean, you've got stuff connected to me, you know, things that I did or said or didn't do and didn't say, but it's, it's that real, you know, deep woundedness that I just don't want any of any of you to experience. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It makes perfect sense to me now, now that I'm a dad. Oh my gosh. I get it. Yeah. You know, cause it's, the, it, and the, this is the contrast. Being a dad is the most phenomenal thing in the world. It is. It is this incredible blessing that goes beyond understanding, absolutely continues to blow me away to this very day. Yeah. With that comes all of the weight. It, it just, for all of the awesomeness on the other side of the scale is all, for me, of the concern. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Like, okay, perfect example would be you. All right, because you have got this 
wonderful wife, and you have four children. So sometimes I go to bed at night going, what if something happened to Stefan? What if some? What if something happened to Stefan? Like what? What would Afton do? How would she care for the kids? That's funny that you think about that too. And and, and, then, and then I'm like, what would we do? Like how would we try to fill in that gap? Because filling in the gap of a person is just so daunting. Yeah, so daunting. Like oh my lord. And I know by the way that we could handle it. Like we could. Yeah. As our family, we could handle a lot. And I don't even know why I'm thinking about this stuff. (laughs) Again, it comes down to, I guess, trust issues of just saying, okay, God, Mm -hmm. you know, you're in control. And certainly this is my desire. My desire is that everybody goes to bed tonight and everybody wakes up fine. Everybody wakes up, yeah. Everybody wakes up fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. But I also know in the scheme of things that it doesn't always happen that way. Nope. I mean, yeah, we know for st- a fact. Yeah, stuff stuff happens, mm-hmm. and it's hard at times. And and you, when you get blindsided by that kind of stuff, when when mom came into the room, I I distinctly remember because I don't know whether Afton called you first or whether she called mom first. I think she was calling mom only because she wanted the medical um, viewpoint of it when she'd gone and gotten the blood test, and the person said, here is the results of your blood test. Uh, you need to go see your doctor tomorrow. And she called mom, and I was in the other room. I, I heard her go, hey, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, the tone changed. And she comes in the back, and you know mom's not a crier. No. And she was crying. And I'm like, who died? Yeah. Like, someone died. Yeah. And the first words that I could understand her saying is, Afton has leukemia, but she doesn't know it yet. Yes, I remember that. And I, I, I was like, what? I heard, I heard about it after the fact, yeah. I remember. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And all the, of the stuff that I'm talking about right now, all kind of percolated to the top. Yeah. Because that's the stuff that you think about that's mm-hmm. gonna happen. You're gonna get blindsided and it's it's like you're waiting for there was a picture one time in the news where this delivery truck i don't know whether the guy was just looking at his phone or something completely lost control and drove into the people's living room Mm -hmm. and no one was hurt praise god and the pictures are hilarious because this guy's stepping out of the vehicle in their living living room room. (laughs) and he's like hey and they're like do we have a package? Because <laughs> they had a security camera that caught the whole thing. Oh my god! From start to finish, but it's that kind of like blindsidedness, like completely unexpected stuff. That and I know at the beginning I said, "Oh, it's like an asteroid's going to hit your house," but mm-hmm. the delivery truck sometimes will hit your house, or your daughter-in-law will find out that she has leukemia. Yeah, and then it's like, what do you do? Like how do you how do you handle this stuff? Write songs, apparently. Yeah, yeah, and then you just kinda... no. But but in all seriousness, because I mean that's what that's what got me started trying to to use that gift that apparently I had been given to be able to write stuff that gave people hope, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't write like I'm actually really glad that we're talking about this because Afton is just like you. She worries just as much as you do about our kids, about losing me about losing work, about having food, all the stuff that 
that comes along with having real responsibilities with people that you love, yeah. right? She yeah. worries about all that stuff. And for the most part, I don't. Now I do, like I worry about it, but I, I get can, it. But I can I still, it. but I can still sleep at night. And the reason right. for that is because my whole perspective about all of this stuff completely changed after Afton got sick and then got better. Right. So the way that I think about it now, and the, this is what drives me to write songs too. It's not just this like, I want to make the world a better place kind of thing. <laughs> because that's, that's ridiculous. It's like, yeah, everybody wants to make the world a better place. Everybody does. Right. If you don't, then it's like, are you an evil person? Right. You know? What I want to do specifically is give people hope in the midst of suffering because I've experienced it and I know I can do it. Give people hope in the midst of suffering. Because everybody suffers yeah everybody it's funny that you say that because we're going to be talking about that the next podcast yeah everybody but you you know what i'm saying yeah, though like i know exactly what you're saying that's that's one of the things that i fall back on when people ask like hey you know how did you handle your wife having cancer and all this it's like well my faith obviously but specifically having hope that this is all going to be okay and yeah. being okay doesn't necessarily mean that everything will be how i want it to be right but it will be okay. Yeah. And that gives me a lot of peace. I can sleep better at night knowing that. That's a great attitude. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, I wish I had more of that sometimes. And, and by the way, I, I need to be completely frank. It's not like I'm, I'm up all night, every night, just worrying about this kind of stuff, pacing the floors. That's, that's not true. I, I mean, when I'm praying at night before I'm going to bed, eventually I do fall asleep. Mm -hmm. It's just the weird things that go through my head. And some, sometimes I'd, I just really, I go to bed sleeping, praying the chaplet of mercy a lot because I'm just like, okay, I just, I just need to put this into God's hands, which is hard for me because I think the trust issue means that I'm a control freak. I mean, I want to be able to control things. I want to be there to protect everyone. Yeah. Like, I wanted to be there when that guy broke into MC's car, not to, like, hurt him or anything like that. I just wanted to be there to go walk along, man. Yeah. Not this car. You keep walking. Stay out of this neighborhood. Stay away from my daughter. Because that, that's, that's kind of that attitude that I have. But you can't do that for everybody. I know. I know. And that's just a hard reality for me to mm -hmm. accept. It's really hard for me. Do you have a dad thing or something? <laughs> something on a happier note? Yes. Yeah, you want to do a dad thing? Yeah, let's do a dad thing. Which one is dad thing? I don't remember. It's I think it's a, this one. It's been a while. Since we had a dad thing. This is it. It's the dad thing. The dad thing. Did I already talk on the podcast about the kids pretending to be lizards? No. Oh my gosh, this is great. I like this so already. I came home from work the other day and the kids were crawling around on all fours in our den because we have a gated den mm -hmm. so that the kids have carpet and soft stuff and they can play in there without hurting themselves. And so they were all in the den and they were crawling around on all fours and just like going crazy. Like I've never seen kids crawl so fast on all fours. Were they making noises? Yeah, they were like, I did that. So yeah, I, like I was like, okay, all right. So are they dinosaurs or, but I came in and they noticed me coming in. So they all got up and they're like, Dada! and they all ran over to the gate and Eli, who is our oldest son 
came up and was like, Dad, we are wizards. <laughs> nice. It was glorious. <laughs> oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. Were you scared? A little. Uh, you should be. Yeah. But I started laughing so hard and the kids, I don't think, understood why I was laughing. Oh. But um, Afton thought it was funny too. That's awesome. One of the hard things for me is if I have like weekend time, I normally fill it with projects because there's always something to do. There's always something to fix. There's always something to be working on and things like that. And recently, you know, the building that the studio is in, I finished painting it, you know, but I talked about the board and bat strips and all that kind of stuff, but it needs a new roof. And I was going to be... stripping it off, putting the underlayment, and then it's going to be a metal roof. And it's going to be awesome when it's completely done. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that always is dependent on weather. And we had the hurricane and we have this big branch that is broken off of an oak tree and it's resting on top of this building. Mm. And my friend who owns a tree service said, hey, I'll do it for free, but you're at the bottom of the list. And I looked at it and I said, it's wedged in there you know, really well. It's not going anywhere. And granted, during this time, all these tree services were from all over the country. And we've had a dozen people stop because it's a very obvious big branch that's sitting there. And, you know, we'll do it for this much. We'll do it for this much. And we're like, no, thanks. It's going to happen for free. I just have to wait. Well, a Saturday rolled around and I can't do the roof until that branch is gone. And Mm. the weather was good. So my first inclination was I'm going to find another project to work on. Even if it's, you know, just changing oil to a vehicle, cleaning up in the shed, doing yeah. doing something, doing service on something. And then it dawned on me. I'm like, you know, I haven't really just taken a relaxing Saturday with my kids in I can't remember when. Mm-hmm. So that's when I broke out the cornhole set. And you guys reaped the benefit of it when you came over Sunday because it was still out. Yeah. But I I was like, we're playing cornhole. Like, let's just relax. That's let's fun. just hang out. Let's go get some ice cream. And I really had to be conscious about it. Like, all right, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to mow the grass. You're not going to do anything. I'll bet that was weird. Except hang out with your kids. Initially, it was a struggle. And then fortunately, when the kids were doing their video game time, it did enable me to kind of go and do something really <laughs> just real quick. But it wasn't <laughs> like I was taking time away from them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Justifies it. Yeah, exactly. If you enjoy this podcast, we ask that you please share it with your friends. Share it with everyone. Do the stuff, the likes and the shares and subscribes. And the subscribes and the bell for notifications and the things. And if you would consider possibly becoming a patron, the link is down in the description and it's $5 a month for right now. You're getting two, uh, about two extra episodes per month. And that will go back up as soon as we catch up from the time that we missed during the hurricane. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much for listening to Potter Familias. We really appreciate y'all.